0: Welcome to The Good Complex, an opportunity we have in this crazy world to kind of set up an alternative universe where we can focus on incredible things that are happening, good people doing good things, and as we're going to see in this series that we're starting today, an opportunity to have curious, courageous conversations about things that really matter with thoughtful people who don't necessarily agree with each other. Who can kind of push the ball forward if we're willing to say, hey, can we can we find the common good as our common ground and actually learn from each other and listen to each other? And in our polarized world, that's not easy to do, especially around issues like the issue that we're talking about in this series because it is so emotional. And what I'm, what we're going to be talking about is the repeal of Roe v. Wade. And what that means for the abortion conversation and decisions and all of that in our culture. And it doesn't really get more polarized and emotional than that. And and one of the things that happens that I I think it's so important to have the conversation like we're having is it's so easy in a polarized world on an issue like this for everybody to go to their sides, pro-choice, pro-life, and demonize the other side to see the other side as evil to see them as foolish, non-thinking, uh, whatever you want to call it, right? It just there's there's no there's no way they could possibly be helpful or right or good. And of course, uh, when you actually get into conversations with thoughtful people who disagree, which we will, uh, you realize, well, wait a minute, they're actually not as evil, or thoughtless, or stupid, or foolish, uh, or cruel, or whatever it is, than than I thought. And and it may not change my perspective in terms of my opinion about abortion, but it certainly broadens our perspective and and further informs our own thinking. And uh, I know that's certainly been true in in my experience and as as we'll all experience, I think, in this series. So if you are looking for an echo chamber conversation to just have some conversations with people who all agree with each other and are reinforcing their view, Uh, deeper and patting themselves on their back and demonizing people who disagree with them, then go ahead and turn this off because that is not what this is going to be. But if you're willing to have thoughtful conversations with people who have the common good as our common ground and can be humble enough to listen to each other and learn from each other, um, then this is going to be, I think, really not just helpful, but actually vital and important as we try to uh, solve Lots of issues in culture, including how we come around this issue. So uh, you're going to be experiencing uh, different conversations with, uh, we'll talk to people on a legal constitutional level. We'll talk to pastors who both are actually biblically driven. They're both Christians. I know not everybody is, but they are uh, with two very, very different perspectives. You'll hear from some, uh, some people who are coming around the issue in a, in a very holistic way and broadening what it looks like uh, to care not only for babies, but for women and uh, and, and, and and much more things than, than people typically think about. So this is, a I think, a real good way. Not always easy. Um, I, I've thought a few times about, like, do I really want to get in this much trouble? But I think it's really important to do it because if, if we're not willing to have curious thoughtful conversations with well-meaning, thoughtful people about issues like this in a polarized world, who will? And we desperately need to do that. So uh, so we are going to have a, a multiple-week series on abortion and the issues around the repeal of Roe v. Wade. And before we jump into our first interview, I'll introduce, uh, as if you've been on The Good Complex or been part of it, you know these folks already, and that is Hillary and Greg. And uh, and I think it'd be good for us all before we dive into the first conversation, just to give, just give our thoughts about what I just said in terms of, hey, why why is it important for you guys from your perspective to have this conversation? Where are you coming from, um, as we enter into this series? Yeah, Heller, do you want to go first?
1: Well, I think this conversation, it's its always uncomfortable, but it's much easier to have when you know you're talking to someone that shares your opinion about it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's typically where we have those conversations or in an echo chamber with right. other people who feel exactly like we do. So when we talked about doing this, I liked it because I felt like it's going to push me out of my comfort zone and give me the opportunity to hear things from perspectives that I haven't considered. You know, you might think that you're a very empathetic person or that you're very right. open to other ideas, but... Sometimes when you really look closely and examine your heart and your mind, you're like, maybe I'm not as open as I, I would like to be. Or maybe I'm too open about certain right. things. So I, I was excited that we were mm-hmm. doing this because the people we've talked to are fascinating and smart and kind and just gave perspectives um, that I hadn't really given much thought to. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And when the, you know, we first started batting around the series when the leak came out and actually we started conversations then. And so actually, you know, our viewers should know that these conversations have, have been happening over the last couple of months, you know, yeah. at, at different times and some before the official ruling, some after, you know, that kind of stuff. And we can probably, you know, piece that together as you're watching it. But I think for me, I was really interested to jump into these conversations because um, for me, you know, you're a pastor and, I, and I'm a pastor and I'm a pastor. For my whole life, just to sort of put my put my you know cards on the table, um, I've been solidly pro-life, and for a long time, for a lot of my pastoral ministry, um, I've kind of been in that camp that has seen the repeal of Roe v. Wade being as like the issue, for uh, for the issue of life. Um, but over the last sort of five ten years, my my perspective, at least my personal conviction, hasn't changed a whole lot around the issue of abortion, but my But my perspective around what it means to be pro-life has expanded quite a bit Mm -hmm. um, to care for other vulnerable groups, you know. And at the same time, um, as a pastor, I do care about how the church and how Christians are viewed in culture. And it is troubling to me when, um, when I see churches or Christians passionate about one particular people group, the unborn, and fairly indifferent or dismissive about others, you know, that I think that that is, it really knocks our credibility and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so when the ruling came down, I was a little bit um, torn, you know, because I certainly want to see a a reduction in abortions, um, but at the same time, it felt a little bit more anti-abortion than pro-life in in some respects, at least some of the response, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I have and I think a lot of us and I know that you like we have our convictions, but how that plays out in culture mm-hmm. with a in a diverse population, uh, you know, with issues of constitutional rights and states rights and the de- democratic process and the rights of the mom and it's like, it is very, very complicated. And sometimes we have like a just kind of a simple well, it just has to be this like it's a fairly clear answer to a pretty complicated question. and. Um, and, but then when this came down, it's like we need to hear from lots of different types of people. You yeah. Know? You know, when
0: I hear you talk, yeah. it, it reminds me of I remember a time in Mother Teresa was being honored yeah. by President Clinton. So you had two people who both care, who've demonstrated mm-hmm. a lot of care for making things better in our world. Um, and, but it was, but, you know, President Clinton pro choice, she's pro life. Right. And she's being honored for something else. But here's this person who's given her. Life to end poverty and to care for issues of life in a very broad perspective. And demonstrated that, yeah. So that when she talked about her, and I know not everybody listening is pro-life, but when she talked about her pro-life concern about babies, it just felt like an extension of it was sort of well, of course, right. it's Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. She's right. she cares for all life, which was which was very different than the way Christians have been perceived. Right. Uh, broadly, um, just by focusing on this one one mm-hmm. thing, right. and um, and so I, I I think one thing to to know as we get into this is it's okay to have a strong opinion. Yeah. In fact, you should. I mean, this is a and even more
2: straight. than a just a conviction. Right. This. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is a big issue. Yeah. Right.
0: And and some some listeners are going to be coming from the perspective of the more pro-choice thing of how could how could anybody want to take away agency from women mm-hmm. and who are in difficult situations and don't you care about these women and don't you care about these children, don't you care, you know? And uh, so that's one side of it. And uh, and then you've got the other side about, yes, but if this is life in the womb, how can you be so cavalier about that? Right. And, right. you know, we've got to protect life in the womb. And, and so both of those are very strong perspectives and it may be hard right now for either side to be open to actually hearing how the other side right. thinks and could contribute. But I, I hope we can yeah. just get beyond that a little bit and be open enough to say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna have my opinion, but I also want to listen to yeah. those who have a different one.
2: Yeah. And that we want to, you know, you and I have talked so like we're gonna approach these not so much thinking like a soldier, trying to defend a position, but thinking like a scout. You know, like we're 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 trying to explore things and we're trying to get a, a really good understanding and certainly we're gonna you know like as you said we're gonna talk to you know we had a couple really fascinating conversations with some pastors on things and we've we've talked to some uh to 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 hear perspectives on what it means to care for women in a holistic Mm -hmm. way but there's a whole nother sort of argument just on the legal side of the you know the the constitutionality and states rights and, and those types of things and and and, and folks arguing back and forth about this ruling, really from that perspective, which is a perspective, at least in church circles, we actually don't hear a whole lot about or we don't talk a lot about, but it is uh, what our guest today was going to talk about. Yes. So, Hillary, would I've, you introduce? Yeah.
1: This was a great way, I feel like, to start the series because we're going to be talking about repealing a constitutional right. So, why not have somebody talk to us mm-hmm. about it from a constitutional perspective? So, Jeff, you got to sit down with this woman who's fascinating, Ines Stuppman. She's an attorney. She's a senior contributor to the federal. she's been published in USA Today and she's been published in the Wall Street Journal um, the New York Post and then she's appeared on things like Fox News and C-SPAN PBS NPR so she knows her stuff Mm -hmm. and I felt like you guys had a really in-depth conversation from the constitutional perspective and it opened my eyes to a lot of things that I hadn't heard or that you don't hear in a lot of conversations that you have with friends
2: so, yeah, this is a long conversation, and uh, this is just a little bit of portion of it. So let's jump in and maybe watch that together, and then we'll come back and, and debrief and talk about that a little bit.
3: Great. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing uh, to note, just be it, it, it's quite basic, but I think a large part of the debate around this doesn't actually acknowledge this, which is that if Roe v. Wade um, is overturned tomorrow, Abortion doesn't become illegal in the United States. It's an issue that gets thrown back to the political process in in the states, which was the state of abortion um, before Roe v. Wade in 1973. In fact, when Roe v. Wade was handed down in 1973, 49 states, with the possible exception of New York, um, had some form of abortion regulation statute on the books that violated Roe v. Wade. So one of the things that uh, is cited among a whole grab bag of potential hooks for this quote unquote right um, that was established in this the Supreme Court case uh, is is the changing of public opinion. But the reality is that public opinion uh, in in Roe v. Wade as actually it's when it was decided is actually promulgated by state legislators uh, who people actually voted for, among other issues on this issue. it it looked like much more of a patchwork. Um, There there was considerable regulation of abortion. Um, It was laxer regulation, generally speaking, in in more liberal states and and stricter regulation in conservative states. And that that was, in fact, the way that we dealt with this tricky sort of moral and legislative question. And when Roe v. Wade yanked that question away from the American people um, by finding a constitutional right with very little legal hook, or, uh, which I think there's a lot of scholars on the left, um legal scholars on the left would acknowledge that this is this is a weak decision. Roe v Wade is a weak legal decision um, that functionally took this issue out of the hands of the American people. And I think that's that's among many reasons why it continues to engender actually such strong sort of um, emotional debates among people um, and why it continues to be at the top of every Supreme Court, for example, hearing confirmation hearing. Um, it's because it's an issue that we should have been allowed to debate and actually legislate about the way that we legislate about so many other things.
0: So that's really talking about, hey, where where does this debate belong? And should it have just been an edict from the Supreme Court based in a constitutional argument from the 14th Amendment, I guess, the due process and from that right to privacy? Um, and, and that is, that is that was the reasoning, right, was from uh from the right to life liberty property not to be taken away without due process that's where the right to privacy came from or
3: that's one of the bases and the most important one this the decision actually rests it on it says a little bit of um jujitsu it says well maybe it's in the 14th Amendment maybe it's really in the Ninth Amendment um but we think that this right to privacy is somewhere in between these two amendments. Um, yeah, yeah. But but yes, the the, the usual sort of um, legal thinking or legal reasoning is that the due process clause is what's called substantive due process, which sounds like an oxymoron in part because it, it is, um, basically saying that um, among the things that cannot be uh, removed uh, without due process is, is, is so-called uh, privacy. But of course, the traditional understanding of the due process clause in this case would be that the due process is in fact, the process that is due is the democratic process, right? Um, and, and again, when the 14th Amendment was, was ratified, uh, there were, I think, a couple dozen states that had restrictions on abortion. Nobody at the time when the amendment was ratified thought that the amendment applied in any way uh, to, contra- or to, to contradict those statutes that were on the books in states, um, and nobody until Many, many years later, in, in 1973, thought that um, the 14th Amendment included this, quote-unquote, right to privacy, which included a right to abortion.
0: So what you would say, from a constitutional perspective, is, hey, it's just not in the Constitution, and to have settled it in the Supreme Court is just not the place in our republic to, to do that, that instead it should be allowed, allowed to be part of our democratic process where people get to decide— get to discuss, get to debate, is that, am I hearing you right?
3: Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, there, there's an additional constitutional principle in play here, which is state power and and the heart traditionally, even though we've circumscribed state power over the years, um, very, very substantially from even the post 14th Amendment era. Uh, criminal law has always been at, at the heart of state power, which is why you don't have a whole lot of sort of federal criminal law without a special hook, right? If you, if you try to commit murder, um, you know, nine times out of 10, that that's a state crime, not a federal crime, unless you're trying to kill a judge or something, <laughs> a yeah. federal judge or, yeah. um, a, a federal politician, um, or you're crossing state lines, right? There are very, there are various kind of hooks that the feds can use to prosecute as a federal crime, but. Until now, um, for the vast majority of criminal cases, those are those are state crimes. Um, And and I'll give you actually an example where the states have different laws with exactly regard to murder Um, in Texas. I think where where uh, where you are, Jeff. Right. Um, There's a very robust uh, self-defense conception. Right. So you don't have a duty to retreat. Right. So if somebody comes into your home, you can shoot them, kill them that is self-defense in the state, the state of Texas. You, you commit the exact same murder or killing, I should say, um, in California, if somebody comes into your house and you kill them dead, uh, you shoot them, that could be prosecuted as murder in California, right? You could say that Texas is failing to protect the life of, in this case, the criminal. Um, and and you could say that that's a violation of, of substantive due process, right? Um, in the same way that like the basis of Roe, right? Except with every other case, we allow the states, even when it comes to us important issues as defining murder, right? Um, we allow the states room to have wildly different laws in the same way that Texas and California have different self-defense laws. So this is, this is very much a part of our system. And pulling abortion out of the system is, is the exception, not the rule. Um, and I think it's an exception that isn't warranted by the Constitution.
0: So it's likely going to go that way, right? Where it, it'll be um, repealed, and then it will go to the states. States some states will have trigger laws like Texas, but they'll it'll also trigger significant debate, not just uh, laws and policies. So, how do you see that playing out over the next over the next months, over the next years? In such a polarized emotional world, with an emotionally charged are, are we capable anymore as a, as a republic to, to allow the democratic process to happen like that?
3: Um, I, th- I think it will be a very necessary exor- exercising of some muscles that are really atrophied over the years. Right? Um, yeah. One of the paradoxes of, of modern political life has been that the franchise has expanded dramatically. right? If you talk about going back to the founding, you had property holding, white men although there were exceptions in the states um there, there were property holding black men who could vote in some of the original colonies as well um but but you have this this kind of story right of adding to the franchise women um and then with that same batch of amendments right right after the 14th comes the 15th amendment um then you have uh, the former black slaves having their right uh to vote guaranteed you have the the later amendments that that drop the voting age right um to 18 so you have you have this the story of the expansion of the franchise, and yet the last sixty to one hundred years have really been a story of restricting what people are allowed to vote on by this expansion of the court. One declaring more that they found more rights in the Constitution, quote unquote. And then on the other hand, you have the expanding administrative state, which governs so much of the political process and makes so many of our formerly political decisions. And so you have this weird paradox where there are more of us voting or able to vote at least than ever were before on on a smaller and smaller set of issues. So I I think this would be very healthy for the United States to actually engage in an important moral political issue where we have to respect the results of the political process. But I I take your, you know, I take your point. Um, It seems we're less and less able to do that these days. Um, But that doesn't mean that we need to stop exercising that muscle. To me, those muscles, it's, to me, it means that, you know, the muscle has atrophied and we need to exercise it more. We need to put more things back into the political process and learn how to use our political process again.
0: And it's not like this is the only time in our history we've been deeply divided and had to work it out. You know, that, that's more, it, as you look back historically, it it's more, seems more common than rare. So there is hope for that, right? Um, for us to be able to to navigate our way through a, a pretty tricky, tricky couple years on this.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm an optimist or a pessimist. I probably tend towards the pessimistic side, um, but the reason I'm pessimistic is not because the American people are not able to work out issues like this. It's actually because I see so many forces that are are taking that power away from average Americans, from American voters, I actually have an enormous amount of trust in in American voters, um, which is not to say that they always make the right decision, right? That's not that's not the definition of any kind of, of um, even liberal democracy, right? Uh, and some things are properly outside of, of the political process. And our constitution delineates a, a number of those things. And I'm not saying that that's not incredibly important. It is. But in this age, I think we don't have enough democracy, right? It may be that in some cases there's, there's a case of too much democracy. Our founders certainly worried about uh, the, the, like the consequences of, of uh, mob rule of sort of snap majorities. These are all real uh, substantive political problems. Um, But it seems to me that too much of our politics is now decided by people um, who are one, very far away from the problem um, and two are not directly accountable to voters, right? So the court isn't accountable accountable to voters and they shouldn't be, but that's why their role is constrained, right? Just to those things that are in the constitution and in federal law. Um, The administrative state is totally unaccountable to voters, um, inappropriately so because they're working on those things that are not removed from the voters via the constitution, right? So we have these two undemocratic branches, both gaining in power and in terms of the territory that they're taking up in our political debate. And I, I, I think that it will be, to the extent I'm pessimistic, it's that more of those things, more of those political decisions are going into those two branches. Um, and I think that we ought to be going in the opposite direction. I think that overturning Roe would be a step in the right direction for American democracy, frankly.
0: A lot of times this is cast as a, you know, from the from the perspective of those who see this as, a, as reproductive justice, I think is the, the theme I've heard, right? Of. That we're taking something away from women if we are pro-life. Um, what I'll ask you is just, um, you know, as, as a as a very thoughtful person and uh, who cares about life, who cares about women, who care, you know, um, how how do you reconcile? How, how could a person reconcile saying, "Hey, I, I really do care deeply about women" and the and protecting rights of women in our culture, just like I protect anyone in our culture, and be pro-life. How, how do you navigate that? Is that possible? Is that something that you would like to talk about? Or
3: I mean, I, I think there are two um, really important rights at play here that are in no other circumstance in conflict with each other in the way that they are in the situation of pregnancy, right, it, it it is a unique moral problem. In every other instance, um, we do not impinge on people's bodily autonomy unless they've been convicted in a court of law and they're getting a cavity search after you know being booked in the uh, in, in prison, right? Uh, we don't impinge on people's bodily autonomy, and and yet in other situations, right, we also don't kill the innocent. Um, those are two incredibly important rights and and they seem to be in conflict in this unique situation where pregnancy is one life inside each other. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I guess my position on this is more that I, I find it frustrating when either side of this debate refuses to acknowledge that there is a, a important interest on the other um on the other side here and it may very well be that that and it's a totally reasonable argument to make to say that life trumps liberty right um that that life trumps liberty and in this instance we have to give credence to life over bodily autonomy which is a key liberty um but it's important to acknowledge that that is an imposition um and on the flip side of course there's i mean there's so many examples on the flip side of you know, the, the left has now moved to a position where they don't want to acknowledge that there's an interest at all on, on the other side, that they want to acknowledge, uh, pretend that abortion is like clipping your fingernails, something that has absolutely no moral dimension whatsoever, and there's, there's no interest um, on the other side. And I, I find both of those positions, frankly, um, a failure to engage with the actual moral problem and that, that's why i am i guess I, I say i put my trust in the american people because i i do think that actually the american people will do a better job weighing those two interests in in a very you know sort of delicate and complex way a way that's going to vary between california and texas right um then our elites have done um Generally I think our elites have done a, a bad job on a lot of important questions, but this is just one of many. And so I, I I think that it's important to acknowledge both of these interests. I think it's important to acknowledge that they intersect in a unique way in pregnancy. And so that's 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 my position. Again, I don't know if that satisfies anyone. Um but that's why I think it's so important to leave it to the democratic process um, and to actually make these arguments that get at the heart of the issue rather than ignoring um, that, that, that there is a substantive and important interest on each side. Yeah.
0: Well, this is incredibly helpful perspective. And I, I hope that it is a step, a significant step in the right direction. And that if we're talking about this two years from now, we're surprised how optimistic we all of a sudden have become. <laughs> but I really, really appreciate your expertise. I appreciate your willingness to have this conversation because uh, this particular view of it i think is 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 really important what's really going on right now with roe v wade and what the opportunity is in our culture so thank you so much thanks for being part of this solution too and we appreciate you
3: well thank you so much for including me in the conversation
0: well that was a super helpful conversation it was Mm -hmm. obviously a very uh, smart thoughtful person uh, I'm glad I had my books behind her. For those of you who are watching, because <laughs> she had all her books, it made me feel a little bit smarter. Although and... you had a big Alabama thing, so that kind <laughs> yeah, of that, 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 that to... decreased that's I know right. my IQ uh, a little bit. But um, and, and I do want to talk about what she talked about. At times, I did. You know, she's she'd be great at playing poker. You know, <laughs> that's right, uh, Hillary. You know, I I, 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 I wanted like one of your jokes, you know, (laughs) to 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 kind of throw in there, broke it up a little bit. Well, you know what
1: I liked about, sorry to interrupt you, what I liked about this conversation, it's the first one about this particular issue that I have heard that didn't have a ton of emotion behind it. And that Mm. was really helpful for me because you get to examine the issue from a completely different mindset because usually it's so emotionally charged on both sides. So I loved that you took that angle and she kind of laid it all out, just from a constitutional perspective, and you got to look at where we go from here as far as the decision with each of the states.
0: Yeah, Even what we talked about at the end, we can come back to the constitutional mm-hmm. discussion, but as she laid out the moral dilemma, I mm-hmm. thought that yeah. was really objective, like yes. you yes. said, and helpful to say, hey, both sides tend to minimize the moral dilemma on the other side, and that's frustrating, And and to acknowledge that I thought was I mean, What's what so simple d- but really helpful.
2: What would this issue be like if everyone just acknowledged that? You know, if we all came through and instead of demonizing the other side or diminishing their argument or saying that they're stupid or evil or whatever, but to say you have a really valid point and this is a complicated issue. How can, where can we find agreement? How can we move forward? And one thing, actually, I really appreciated, too, is that while she did, it was pretty dispassionate. You know, she is coming from a certain perspective. And you could tell certain words, like if she just, like, blanketly say, you know, the left. Well, she's not coming from the left, you know, mm-hmm. when she says that. Right. But even with that, she was able to articulate that, that the other side has a very good point. That, that isn't a position, you know And so I, I really appreciated that she has she definitely has her perspective, but she can recognize that this is this is a complex issue. Yeah, that's really, really good. You know one thing too, I would just I, I, I have several notes you know because um, I'd love to hear y'all's perspective on what so, so she kind of laid out that with within our republic, within our within our country, that is as diverse as it is, um, with an issue like this, that there will probably end up being a patchwork of responses um, from, from state to state. And I, it was pretty fascinating. She used murder as, as an okay. example, and I hadn't mm-hmm. really thought of it you know, um, in that way. And I think that's a, that's a pretty good example. But this is a little bit more divisive, maybe, than self-defense laws, you know, like that kind of stuff. So this is a, um, how do we feel about that? You know, like if it's gonna kind of go back to the states, the states are going to kind of have very different ways that they respond. Um, As people that really want to see the country move, as if if possible, move forward together, Mm -hmm. is that a move in the right direction? I think that Inez would say, actually it's not only like okay, that's actually preferable in a country as divisive as ours, that it probably needs to have different expressions like that. Um, it kind of makes me nervous a little bit when I think about us as a country and how divisive this issue could be. So what do do y'all think? It just
1: seems odd that on the one hand, you could move to a state where they vote the way that you vote. So you've got other people that are like-minded. But then when you do that, then you've got all the like-minded people grouped together in certain states, and then you don't have that diversity of thought. So it is kind of an odd situation. And the example she used about the, the self-defense laws, that's been going on in our country for a long time and we've still managed mm-hmm. to, to get by and everything's been, for the most part, you know, right. fine. So I'm hopeful that this will be another example just like that. But it is, it's one of those things where it, it would be nice to, to be with other people who share your opinion, but is that the most helpful? Right. Is that really what makes us a better person if we're in an echo chamber all the time? Yeah,
0: yeah and it, it is a, it's interesting with her perspective. How much federal? What 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 should happen at a federal level? What should happen at a state level? She's a constitutional lawyer mm-hmm. and scholar, and and that that is, you know, we've been dealing with that for the last two hundred fifty years as a, right. you know, country figuring that out. But it, it is unfortunate to, you know, I'm I'm am i te- I'm in Texas, you mm-hmm. know, and and I'm I'm comfortable being in Texas, but. We hear Texas, you know, we can talk about people in other parts of the country. Again, we demonize right. the Northwest mm-hmm. or the Northeast or California, mm-hmm. or they do that with Texas, you know. Right. or People find out I'm a pastor in Texas. They're like, oh, you know, <laughs> right. like, what do you mean? Oh, you know what? And so that, that is an unfortunate part. I mean, I, I think how it plays out in the Republic will be interesting. I just hope we can hear each other from position to position and even— region to region yeah. and, mm-hmm. and we can have we can have a healthy debate and dialogue.
2: And I think, you know, conversely from what from what Inez w- was talking about, I mean there there are there are certain issues where we don't allow states to just sort of make up the rules. You know, yeah. like if, if states wanted to go back and not you know if certain states wanted to go back and not let women vote, like well, that's not a choice for you. Like you can't really make mm-hmm. that choice anymore. Or go back to let you know, have certain minority groups that can't vote or whatever. But I think that what Inez would say is like, well, and in that case, there, there, is, there is a system, there's a federal system, uh, there's a federal law that's built in there, or in some, some instances, uh, amendments to the Constitution that are written through the legislative branch um, and not through the judicial branch. And I think I kind of what I sense from her is that this was a decision that was made in the judicial branch and not the legislative branch uh, and so now it's being thrown back to the states, and if there's a big movement you know, nationwide that this is tearing us apart, we need to, uh, then it's really up to the legislative branch to fix that and to write a, a federal law or to amend the Constitution or something, and then the judicial branch could do their job in just interpreting that law. But I think she would say that, that, that the judicial branch was outside of their lane by, creating, by, creating, by finding a right or creating a law or something like that. Um, when when the when the legislative branch wasn't doing their job by doing an amendment or something like that so I is it, that is that right that I, that I, think I so? so. okay
1: yeah Well when you were talking I I found it interesting because obviously Roe versus Wade happened before I was born so I wasn't here for that but I've been listening to a lot of different attorneys like Inez give their assessment of whether it was a weak ruling to begin with and almost all of them no matter whether they were a conservative or or someone who was more progressive or liberal they've almost all said this ruling probably shouldn't have never it should never have taken place to begin with which I thought was fascinating how it's changed so much and they're saying hey this should never have happened but people are really you know once we get used to an idea of something it's hard to go back right. Yeah. so I, I, I liked her perspective but I thought gosh she's probably the, the fourth or fifth attorney that I've heard yeah. say this was weak to begin with and so I, I'm most of the attorneys are like I'm surprised that other people don't see that this precedent shouldn't have even happened
0: yeah. and and I've heard the same thing as she said people on the left and right have acknowledged mm-hmm. this was a weak, hmm just from whether you agree the abortion or not a weak right. ruling yeah. but and it, it should be in the you know in the other branch uh to decide but that will be interesting on states and federal and what because you do think at some point certain things like if you're on one side women's rights well shouldn't aren't there things that are universal there or when life mm-hmm. begins right it begins sometime i mean right. everybody would acknowledge that so when when is that in the life of a baby i i, I don't know of anybody that would think it you know, and if we, if we
2: as a people agree, like as a nation, even if it's not an answer that I you know, am fully in, you know, on board with, but maybe it's a compromise or something like that, but if we as a nation feel like we need a standard that doesn't tear us apart, it's up to Congress to do that, not up to the Supreme Court, you know, to the, to the Senate and, and to the House to, to craft a law or to amend the Constitution or something like that, to, to put that into law for all the states to abide by. Um, but in, but in light, but, but if we can't do that, then it's going to be up to each state to make up their own rules, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we're going to end up with a patchwork. And so that's, and so that does bring up another, I I love your question where you asked her, it's like, so can we even do this as a, as a people anymore? You know, like what, I think it was pretty, um, gracious of her to say, well, it's like atrophied muscles. It's like yeah. it might be more than that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so our like this this puts it on us. Like it it is if it if we're gonna say we want this to be part of the legislative branch to do like they're answerable to the voter. You know, so it is up to you and me and all of us to engage in the democratic process and to vote legislators and process in in, in in positions of, of authority that can craft legislation that can um, move us all forward and not just their own little slice of their own constituency, but at the, all of us together, what's going to be best, do we have confidence that we can even do that anymore?
1: I think you brought up such a great point because I hear people complain all the time about major issues like this, and then I'll ask them, well, did you vote? And they didn't. And they don't vote in any, I mean, not the presidential election, not a state election, not, you know, any local primaries. And just within the past several years, I've tried to make every single, even just the little small local elections, because it determines so many things that later on, we'll wonder, well, how did this even happen? Well, because we didn't vote. (laughs) So it makes a big difference. To be engaged
0: Mm -hmm. and and in a polarized world, um, I think to learn, to exercise those muscles of engagement uh, not just with the, not just as we've talked about already, not just with those who agree, but those who disagree. Mm-hmm. And, and I know it's interesting reading the Founding Fathers, uh, as I did years ago, talking about one of the essential truths that they had in mind as they set up the Republic in a two-party system is that we need each other. We need mm-hmm. disagreement because we're fallible. Right, and we we're not omniscient like God is. We we don't know everything. That's why there's so many checks and balances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And we need humility, and we need to listen, and we need we need disagreement baked in, so that there are checks and balances, yeah. and there are ways to question our thinking and deepen our thinking, and and then when we understand that, then the republic can work. If we lose sight of that, mm-hmm. then kind of what's happening now right. happens, where tribalism and you don't listen to each other and you demonize each other and so she's right it's going to be a real test of our republic to see as a nation if we can if we can do this but I mean I think that's why conversations like this are so important and why we're doing it the way we're doing it not just collecting people who agree with my position because I have a strong position but I also want I, I feel the need to listen to those who have a different right right and so well
2: this is a great start
1: yes i'm excited for the conversations that we have moving forward too Mm -hmm. because we get to talk to people about well so what do we do now Mm -hmm. where do we move forward no matter how you feel about it what what are some actionable things we can do to actually make things better so yeah yeah, the next one's a very
0: next one's a very tricky but hopeful conversation i think Mm -hmm. we can we'll get to some of these episodes where they're you know you're not you're you're not gonna agree because they're taking one side or another and, and sharing your side, but this next one in our next episode, I, I think we could all say, yeah, hopefully we, we can agree. We can agree yeah. with that. Right, right, right. It's and so that'll be a fascinating conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining this first of the series on Roe v. Wade and the abortion debate. And, uh, and I hope that this was helpful to you from a constitutional perspective. And I look forward to the next iterations of this conversation. Thank you for being on board, uh, for being a conscientious, thoughtful person who can have some humble and curious conversation about something that's very important and very tricky as well. So I hope you make this week a really great one.